It's Amber Bradley, your host for the unscripted side of LP. It's Talk LP Podcast time. It's everyone's favorite time of the week, Talk LP Podcast time. That's right. We got Mike Keenan back in the co-hosting hot seat. Mike, what's up, man? You're back now, this time as a co-host. I'm glad to be here, Amber. Looking forward to our guest today. Okay, if you didn't hear Mike Keenan's podcast, you better run over there and do it. Mike, president and CEO of Goodwill of Greater East Bay. And if you don't know Mike, you're cray-cray because he's had LP experience. Run over there, listen to his podcast. But first, listen to this one because we've got Chris Nelson, Senior Vice President and Head of Asset Protection for Gap Inc. What's up, Chris? Life is good. How are you guys doing? We are all good. We are among the living. I think which is, you know, these days when you say, hey, I'm healthy, I think everyone is agreeing that's actually legitimate, that you're grateful <laughs> for being healthy. Exactly. And we all made 2020. So that's, that's yeah. the best part of all, right? We're done right. with 2020. Done. Record books. Okay, Chris. So super stoked to have you on the podcast. Appreciate Mike kind of dragging you in here and your busy schedule for sure. But so for those that don't know you, tell us a little bit about your background. I know you've, you know, hardcore retail have a ton of fantastic um, retail experience. Give us the snapshot. Yeah, I, uh, I kind of consider this two careers. Uh, coming out of college, I was an ROTC, and I went into the military, and I was an officer in the military police corps, and um, spent 10 years doing that. Um, I was only going to spend three, and at 10, my wife grabbed me by the ear and said, you said three, this is 10, we're going home. Um, but I enjoyed the heck out of it. I was all, literally all over the world. I um, started out in South Korea. Um, went to Fort Riley, Kansas, went to um, San Antonio, Texas, Lackland Air Force Base, went to Washington, D.C., um, and even went to uh, Mogadishu, Somalia. So I got to do all kinds of things across the world, and it varied from, you know, major league security operations in South Korea um, to, you know, protecting big um, bases in the U.S., law enforcement-wise, typical uh, police work. Uh, I got to teach investigations for a stint at the Security Police Academy. Um, got to protect the president and other dignitaries when I was out in Washington, D.C. And uh, led a unit in combat when I was over in um, Somalia. Um, so I was a very lucky guy in a number of ways, but those experiences were huge. But they weren't cool for the family. <laughs> Look, we could probably <laughs> spend 30 minutes talking about just the military Stuff. That is really cool. It, it taught me a lot. I always tell people I have this de facto PhD in dealing with stress and people, but it's helped me a lot seriously in, you know, putting things into perspective and understanding what's right and what's wrong and understanding principle-based leadership. So all that, all that was really big. And then I was really fortunate um, to come back and I went to work for Target Corporation and at that point, it was, I went to work for the department store division, which is no more. Um, and they brought me in to do training and development on things like apprehension techniques, um, legal interviewing, and a little bit of leadership. So I did that for a while. But really, once we got that program off the ground, went into their investigative infrastructure, 
and kind of grew that. Those were back in the very first days of ORC. Um, we got the ability to innovate and do a lot of things from the investigative perspective. It was really a cool time because we were constantly iterating, constantly developing. And um, that taught me a lot too about the corporate world and how you always have this need to be better. And then from there, um, I came to work for one of my favorite guys in the entire free world, Keith White, here at Gap Inc. And uh, he had an opening in Banana Republic to run that division or that uh, area. And I said, sure, let's do it. So um, I got to run a brand on my own, which was huge. I realized very quickly, you're never on your own because um, it was a team effort and we did lots of good things. And then Old Navy, which is the larger brand here, um, that came open and Keith said, what do you think? And I said, well, if, uh, if that's where you need me, that's where I go. And uh, so I ran Old Navy. And at that point, uh, nobody in that chair had made it more than two years. So I was a little bit nervous. I had a mortgage. Um, you know, I had a family putting kids through college. And, you know, I took it. And uh, 10 years later, um, Keith uh, decided to leave the company and go on to another opportunity. And they said, Chris, you're up. And they put me in this interim role. And uh, nine months later, they said, that's enough interim, um, you're full time. And, and so here I sit, I'm, I'm a very lucky guy. Um, I loved what I've done and uh, it's been a good career so far and I, I don't wanna be done yet. I'm having too much fun. Nice, all right, and you kind of know Mike a little I bit. I know Mike a lot, yes. So Mike and I worked together, we were peers together. Um, he actually replaced me at Banana Republic and he didn't ever uh, shy away from explaining how he had upgraded Banana Republic when I left. Um, but seriously, he's been a fantastic partner. He is just a, a hotbed of, of advice. We still talk from time to time. I would actually consider him, uh, you know, on my board of directors and one of my mentors. Nice, Mike. He knows what he's talking about and, and he's always open and willing to discuss, which is nice to have when you're in some of these roles. Well, thanks, Chris. Um, I really did enjoy working with you. And I must say, I must have been faking it a little bit when I was talking to you about Banana Republic because you were actually a pretty tough act to follow. Um, I did add a few things, but it was kind of like icing on the cake. So I always appreciated all you've got done in that brand when I was able to step in there. Um, but I'd like to ask you a little bit about your military experience. Uh, during our time together, I was with you for eight years at Gap. Um, you told some great stories, I thought, about leadership lessons you learned in the military and shared with your teams. And I'd be great if you could share one or two of those stories with us, because I think they're very valuable. Yeah, it's, it's a cool question, Mike, and thank you. And, you know, I think in the military, I, I always think of, I was super fortunate. Um, you know, my parents encouraged me to go into the military. I think they were worried if I didn't, um, quite frankly. But um they encouraged me to go in and what I found out was it taught me so much, um, not, a, not necessarily just about the military or, you know, how do you, uh, how do you go into a military operation, but taught me about people. And, and that's, those are the kind of lessons that I learned and it taught me about mission and can you subordinate yourself to something bigger than yourself or is it just about you? And, you know, as a 22-year-old guy, you know, we, you don't have it sorted out. <laughs> um, you're still trying to figure it out. So it taught me that. And I think some of the most poignant lessons um, 
you know, one, there's probably two that come to mind that I always share. My kids are absolutely sick of these stories too, by the way, but you guys probably haven't heard them. But I think the first one was learning what it means to be a leader. Sometimes there's situations that happen in the military where you have no place to run. You are now in charge. Um, you're the leader. And in the, the time where that came most pointed, when I, when I was over in uh, Somalia, um, we, had a, we had a pretty tough day one day and we lost um, four of our team. Um, and I was in the kind of in the middle of it. And um, it, it was took us a while to get ourselves out of it. It was profoundly scary. I learned a lot about myself when I'm really scared. I'm really fast. Um, and, you know, I learned stuff like that. But what I learned when I came back was everybody looked at me as the leader. It was as I walked back into our company area, all of a sudden, every single set of eyes was on me. I was mad. I was sad. I was scared. But it didn't matter because the team needed a leader at that point. They can tell you how well we did. I, I mean, that's up for grabs. But the reality is I realized at that point, okay, you, you wanted this position. You got this position. Now it's time for you to pay all of those folks back. You need to stay in the saddle. You need to stay strong, you need to stay objective, and you need to make things happen. But understand, the eyes of the world are on you. And at, at that point, the eyes of the world were on us. There was you know, a lot of contention about why we were there. If you've ever seen Nightline, my wife and kids back home were on Nightline. Um, there was all kinds of pressure on us. But the reality is, that wasn't the point. The point was, I was in that leadership position and I had to continue to march regardless of my thought process. So I, I've always remembered that, um, and I've always tried to use it. And, and again, I can't stress enough, it's not because I thought I was Superman or invincible, I was scared to death. But the job of a leader isn't to go out there and let all that fear manifest, it's to say, okay, what do we gotta do and let's keep moving forward. So another one was really the mission, and I, and I think it's what we do. My sense in our industry is we're all, we all have this sense of we're the protectors. And it's not in, a, in an arrogant way, I hope. Um, you know, it's like the movie Blindside, where they finally figure out the guy's thing is he's protecting people, and then that will turn his switch on. Well, I think a lot of us are like that. Unfortunately, we're not as big and strong as him, but we're like that. And... Um, there was another case, and it was after this incident had happened um, overseas, and we had been fighting tooth and nail for a very long time, and quite frankly, I started to get frazzled. And so one morning, um, it was the first Sunday we'd had peace. Um, if you notice overseas, a lot of times the U.S. troops will get attacked on Sundays because they think we're, they think our posture is down a little bit. So we finally had this Sunday where I could read the newspaper from home. It's two weeks late, but I'll take it, right? Um, and a knock comes at the door and it's, sir, there's somebody up at the front gate um, and she wants to come in. Well, we had this big area where we obviously couldn't let people in. It was an active combat zone and we were securing it. And I said, send her down to the United Nations. You know, that's not our job. And I went back to reading my newspaper. He came back a little while later 
And he said, sir, they are still there. It's a woman and two little kids. They're crying. They say somebody has abducted their husband, yada, yada, yada. And my first reaction was to snap and say, look, I told you, send them down to the United Nations. But for some reason, I looked over at the corner and I had a little um, bulletin board and I had two pictures of my daughters sitting on their bunk bed at home. And it was like a lightning, but I literally got these strong shivers down my spine when I looked at that. And I said, you are probably the biggest jerk in the free world right now. What the hell are you doing? I realized they needed our help. I realized my kids, just by virtue of where they grew up, were sitting in a comfortable bed back at home, having whatever they needed. And these kids were out in, in uh, an austere situation. So we actually, I got driver and our vehicle we went up there we found out that their um, father and husband had been abducted by the warlord group haber Gadar that we were principally fighting and we he wasn't coming back we knew we knew how that turned out um, but what we were able to do is get her fed get her money and get her on a bus that was somewhat safe back to her original town so she could go back and be with her family and I remember standing at the gate and these little kids are looking at my feet and they're laughing. I, had, I have size 12, 13 feet. They were laughing at me and I, and I asked the interpreter, what's so funny? And uh, they said, he must be able to kick a soccer ball really far with those big feet. And it just made me realize, look, dude, there's a purpose for you being over here. It's not fun. It's not easy. It's scary. It's hard, yada, yada. But there's a purpose and when you apply that purpose, good things are going to happen. No, that's, that's, that's stories. Great. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, I can't even imagine the layers upon layers of things that, you know, you were taught about yourself as a person and society as a whole. And you talk a little bit in your opening about principled leadership. And uh, expand on that a little bit. I mean, I think that's going to speak to kind of how you are as a leader, what you learned in all of these, you know, insane, impossible, incredible situations. Um, but yeah, expand on that a little bit, if you would. Sometimes I think it's a little bit simpler than we make it out to be. The right thing is the right thing. And we, we oftentimes spend a lot of time talking about it, like the example I showed you. The right thing, the process was we sent refugees to the United Nations. That wasn't really the right thing because they were going to have to go another half mile, mile down the road to find safety and they needed us at that point. So sometimes you have to come back to the right thing and the right thing isn't always easy. My father used to always tell me because I would complain, you know, like a, a teenager does, that's not fair. You know, he, it, every time to this day, he will say, look, life isn't fair. You got to deal with it. And, you know, I think part of that is understanding we in the AP world, the LP world, the security world, we often become the conscience of our companies. We often represent what is right. Now, sometimes that's hard because what is right may be difficult to accomplish. It may be counter to profit and loss statements, unless we do it really smart. And it's hard to get across. And, and oftentimes people wanna go with the flow 
they don't want to be that unreasonable person and say, no, wait, time out. We can't do that. Um, I've been really lucky for the most part. Um, my career with Target and, and particularly with Gap Inc. here is, you know, my advice to everybody is always choose a place where you can be comfortable. And I've been lucky in both those places and with my bosses to know, okay, Keith's got those values. I worked for other people like King Rogers, Brad Brecky. They had those values and you knew it when you walked in. They were tough. They taught me a lot, but they had those values and I knew I could line up behind them. So that's been something I've always led with. And it's something, you know, we got to remind ourselves that that's part of what we bring to this. And quite frankly, as you see sustainability, as you see treating people with respect and dignity, if you see social responsibility, it's finally now coming to the point where that is a competitive advantage for you. If you got that, if you emulate that, and if that's part of how you roll. So I think that's something that I learned and you don't want to give it up. And, and you know, you talk about, well, what are the things you would walk away for? That's one of the few things. Um, if that's not present, then, um, you know, it's time to go somewhere else. But I have been so lucky. Uh, it's part of the values at Gap Inc. You know, we, we, one of our stated missions now is inclusive by design. So we make sure everything we do from what's our assortment look like to what's the experience in the store to what is our employee experience like look like. We're aspiring to, to make sure that we're inclusive across the board. That's not easy. It's hard. It takes a lot of work. But it, for me, it compels me to keep going. Working with you um, for the eight years I did, everything you just said, you lived. And, um, you know, we had lots of leadership meetings, lots of conversations. And uh, I can really attest to the fact that you taking the experience, your life experience, and you apply it every day um, and, and um, really reflects well on yourself being able to support the company the way you do, but really, like you say, doing the right thing. But I want to shift a little bit. Um, sure. You talked earlier about Keith. Um, obviously, I've had the opportunity to work with Keith. I've known him for many, many years through the NRF. Um, and one of the more difficult challenges of leadership, I think, is following a good leader. And you're following a storied leader who built an amazing organization there. In fact, he was uh, interviewed on LP News not too long ago, you know, LP Talk not too long ago. And um, I just was really curious to ask you, you know, how are you approaching that? You certainly understand the organization because you've been there for a long time. And there's lots of good things there. But you're a different leader. Yeah, it's, it's a good point, Mike, and it's a tough act to follow. Keith, I mean, Keith is in another role now. Keith and I talk every couple of weeks. Um, he will always be a friend and a mentor. Um, and he's a tough act to follow because I came to Gap Inc. to follow Keith because I thought he was the best people person in our business, hands down. And what Keith taught me was a lot of really cool stuff, the value of relationships, the value of speaking truth to power, um, stuff that reinforced what I thought, but he also provided me a great example of how do you do that? He was the best at developing relationships I've ever seen. He was, when he walked around, he was like the mayor. Everybody knew Keith, everybody loved him. He had a story, he had um, conversation for him. So at the end of the day, Keith, I'm not Keith um, and Keith is not Chris. So what I started out with is letting people know 
one, I value the heck out of what Keith has built. I value the heck out of all of this team that he has built. I can't be Keith as much as I'd like to be. I can't be him. He's a way better basketball player than I'll ever be, right? So what when you get into that, you have to be careful, I think. And as you make changes, I think it's super, super important that the team understands why we're making the change. Sometimes people get into what I call the BIS principle. It's why are we doing this? Well, because I said so. Well, that doesn't go very far, right? That that falls on deaf ears. Now, you'll get adherence right off the bat, but one, they don't understand why you're saying to do this, and two, they can't repeat it when you're not there. So if you explain the whys and if you look at it um, from that perspective, you're, you're teaching and coaching them instead of just demanding and directing them. And, and I think it's, it's working. You have to ask the team, um, you know, and there's, there's bumps in the road. You have to say, I know you did it this way before. Here's what I want you to do now. And here's why. And generally speaking, that's worked. The other thing I think this is going to sound odd, but I think it was an advantage at the time that I took over because we were in the middle of massive change. We all were right. We had COVID. We had change in the business perspective in terms of where do our sales come from? All of a sudden, online sales are way up here and stores were having difficulty getting traffic. It's adjusting out, but it was a totally different dynamic than the organization that Keith had built. Um, we had the COVID piece. There was a totally different dynamic there. We were getting involved in things. We were monitoring every single county in this country um, with our investigative skills to give the company information. So it gave me the opportunity to say, team, look at how we're evolving. I kind of use the word evolving as, as opposed to just plain change because the company needs us to step into a little bit different role now. And that helped me explain the whys. And for the most part, um, it has worked pretty well. You know, nothing is perfect if you're if you're looking for perfection, I'm not sure you're going to find it in most places. Um, and that's not what we're after. We're after the pursuit of getting better. And the team seems to have rallied behind that. So one thing you said that I um, was really interested in, because, you know, I'm often fascinated by the military and, and people that commit their lives to service. Um, clearly I'm too selfish to do that because it's, it blows my mind, you know, all that your family has to go through, you know, just the, the stress and it's just unbelievable to me. And one of the things you said, um, made me wonder if this is part of the training it's, you know, uh, and you you can probably fix how I'm saying it, but you said subordinate yourself to a higher cause, right. To the whole. And um, I was like, man, that's, that's probably, you know, when you go into basic training or, you know, the first few weeks of hell, which, you know, all of us civilians, you know, anticipate that's what it is because we've seen all these movies, right? But we probably have no idea, even from the movies. You know, you think about, is that what they teach you? And is that the key, really, when you think about executives um, that maybe don't have any military background that are like, what's my next move? What's my next promotion? What's my next contribution, right? Where it's almost like a mentality that's palpable, right? It's like, okay, 
this person's all about their next move when you have been uh, conditioned, I would say, you know, not in a Pavlov's dog way, but a condition to a higher thought process, right? I mean, you get what I'm saying? Yeah, you're conditioned to it. And when I walked into basic, I went to, to basic training and was in the National Guard during college. And, you know, I had some stuff to figure out. <laughs> you know, um, you, you don't, I, at 20 years old, I was not um, fully developed, just point blank. I could get a little bit frustrated. I could get a little bit, um, you know, short-sighted. And um, my parents would say a lot frustrated and a lot short-sighted. But um, the reality is when I got in there, there was part of this epiphany to me is that when you understand what you're trying to do and the value of teamwork, you know, think of it like an orchestra, um, you know, you have all those different component parts of the orchestra. If you just listen to one of the parts alone, yeah, it's good, or it may be good, or it may be weird, <laughs> um, you know, sounding, et cetera. But when you blend them together, it's magic. And what the military showed, and sometimes they, you know, insisted um, to say it nicely, this is the way we roll, this is what you're going to do. And what I found was I saw it working. So then when I went into ROTC, they taught you about leadership and they taught you about understanding who you're dealing with. And they taught you to explain the why so that everybody knew what to do, even if maybe you weren't there anymore, because that could happen, right? So as I did that, and then it worked, it worked and it worked and it worked again and again. And I learned some lessons like believe in the people around you um, because they come, come there trying to do the right thing every day. Most of us do. Now, if, if somebody doesn't want to come in and do the right thing, they show themselves really quickly, and they, and they never never usually last. They usually self-edit. Um, but if you surround yourself with that, the, the NCOs or the sergeants taught me a lot, and I was smart enough or uh, scared enough to say, I'm going to listen to these guys because they've been doing this for 20 years. And when they take you under their wing, all of a sudden you're learning all this, and you see the value of that teamwork and you subordinate yourself and sometimes i think we get a little bit enamored with what's what do i get out of this what's next and it that seems weird because we're all working for a living and we all have families etc but what i found out is that when i employ this and i'm really concerned about the welfare of my team and the business i come out ahead as opposed to putting myself first because then can people really count on me? And are people really gonna be there when I need them and those sorts of things? So that, that's, that's been the way that I've tried to handle it. And I try and encourage that into my team, you know, that sometimes people come in, well, what's next for me? Well, what do you want to be next for you? Um, you know, you don't, um, you don't automatically get entitled to all these things just by showing up. You get entitled to them by showing your commitment and showing you can do it. And then at least what I've found, and again, I, I say I'm a lucky man, and I, I know I say that a lot, but I'm not BS and I, I feel that way. Um, it's worked out that way. Um, you know, you don't have to be a slick used car salesperson, no offense to any used car salesperson, um, with your own reputation, your actions show the way and people pick up on it. It may take a little while, but they'll pick up on it. Yeah, if it's sincere. Right. right. I mean, yeah. It has to be sincere. I think everyone can see through 
the, you know, what's best for the whole when you know they were just in the coffee room angling yeah. with so, right? I mean, it's, it's actions that speak, um, which is what your whole persona is coming up in me. All right, go ahead, Mike. Sorry. No, I, I think that was great. Um, no, I think the, the next thing I would just ask, Chris, is you brought up the pandemic. And it's changed all of us, and it's changed the way that we operate. Um, and you have an internationally, you know, present uh, operation where you're everywhere in the world. So, can you share with us um, how you, as a leader, have approached the pandemic within your organization and the company? Yeah, it it has been um, the opportunity of a lifetime, I think, and the challenge of a lifetime. So he can look at it from either side of the coin. Um, the reality is we weren't set up a year and two months ago to do what we're doing today, but we have the skill set, right? So we're investigators where we make things happen. You know, when there's a problem, people will say, well, you know, what does AP think or can AP help here? And, and we we're great at um, going and making things happen or finding them out. So what we discovered early on is we could use these skills to develop things. So for example, we developed a mandate team that was more of a task force than you know a, a team that existed where it was led by the AP team and it was in, in, to some degree staffed by them, but this mandate team included people from government affairs, from legal, um, from internal audit, um, other people that could help us we, we had some investigators in it. So what we set out to do then was develop a mechanism so we could track the over 600 counties in the U.S. plus Canada, plus what was going on wherever we were um, either trading like uh, Europe, uh, China, et cetera, or we had sourcing offices. So this operation literally has been up and running and they're near 24-7, but they literally monitored all of that and gave that in a real digestible form to the leadership team so they could make competent decisions. Um, I think that was huge. The other piece was we had a lot of influence in the store environment. Um, we also had sort of the, the, um, the safety or what I used to call the safeness um, moniker. And we could add health and safety and reinforcing the rules, helping stores get set up, assessing them, and keeping them honest about what we had to do, we could do that with our existing teams. So we were able to step in and help one, define what should be done, what was in the best interest of the business. But then two, um, my favorite words are teach, coach, and inspire. We could teach, coach, and inspire those store teams to continue to do it so that they understood why they were doing it. We followed up. If we had a problem, we could correct it. We never did that stuff. 15 months ago, we probably couldn't have spelled COVID 15 months ago, right? But um, we realized, gosh, we can do this. Um, and then, you know, the other thing we learned was we could expand what we do in things like civil unrest. And we developed kind of a new mantra with our org structure called centers of excellence, where we pool together the expertise for given areas, crisis management being one of them. And uh, we were able to use that process um, to teach, coach, and train people, uh, the BCP team trained the field people on here's how you handle different things, here's good communication structure. I call it the C3 command control and communication. 
we handed some of that down to the local folks so that they could better do it. They could better exercise it. And we got the advantage of a local flavor. So in, in essence, we took a lot of stuff we already knew and we made it go further. Yeah, that's, yeah. Go ahead, Mike. No, no, go ahead, Amber. I was just going to say that's, uh, it's incredible. Like you think about it that hopefully we're all like on the downward slope of this thing and we're all just talking about our vaccine reactions. But, you know, you think about all of the learnings that had to take place so quickly, right? And then it was just, it's, an, it's incredible. Um, so uh, a quick shift in, we, I, I think, I hear that we have all different types of folks listening to this podcast from executive level down to regionals and directors and stores and all kinds of stuff, which is awesome. So a lot of people look at your career, Chris, and they're like, man, that is what I want to do. You know, it's kind of a steady ascent up the ladder, if you, if you will. So for those folks, the up and comers out there, that next wave of executives, give us your advice to them. Um, and, and primarily, you know, thinking about you may not have the exact same personality that Keith White did, right? And you had to say, look, I'm not, I'm not Keith. So, so, you know, what, how do you do that, right? Especially when maybe, and what I found is most of the LP folks that at least I've come in contact with, you guys aren't like the most gregarious, extroverted, like come shake my hand kind of people, right? You're a bit reserved, which I dig, that's fine. A bit reserved, more like, you know, cautious. But if you're, you know, used to a guy like Keith, who is, you know, his personality is big. He makes friends easily. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, how do you, how do you navigate that? I know I just packed like seven things. This is my last question that I'm going to hand it over to Mike, but there you go. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. First of all, you know, we can be packed with introverts. We're, we're analytical minds as a general rule. Um, first thing I would tell you is knock that introvert crap off. And, and if you have to fake being an extrovert, because uh, there, there was a, a saying an old boss of mine said one time, it said, Superman could save the world. But unless the Daily Planet reported it, nobody knew. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that. So the reality is, don't go out there and say, look at me. I'm Chris. I'm the greatest thing ever because I'm not the greatest thing ever. Um, but I'm going to work my tail off to make good things happen for wherever I'm at, right? And I think you have to understand that. I see a lot of times people want to wait for things to come to them. And you're going to be waiting a long time. It's kind of like the, the high school dance and you sit on your wall and the, the other wall is over there and nobody goes in the middle. You got to get out there. And if you're not going to get out there, then it's got to be on you. And I've done that before. When I first came in, I came out of the military. You know, I was dress right dress and too severe. And thankfully, I had um, a pretty good boss in Brad Brecky who didn't, didn't always say it directly, but he always just kind of shaved off those edges. And um, the more you get engaged, the more valuable you're going to be and the further you're going to feel that your voice is heard. So I think that's important. Um, and I think that part of it is choose an environment. When I talk to kids that'll listen, so when my, my kids that are now out of college bring their buddies over and they say, Hey, Mr. Nelson, you know, what should I do? I always say, choose an environment 
that you aspire to be in. Don't choose a job because some of them, well, that was a senior analyst, but Jim's getting an analyst role, so that's a better job. Doesn't matter all the time what the title is, particularly as you're beginning. It matters the environment that you're in. So do the company values and the leadership values exude what you can line up behind? And if they can, all of a sudden you're freer. And what I found is um, I'm much more likely than to express my opinion and be able to go and say, here's how I think this adds into our culture or our values. But if I sit back, then I'm going to continue sitting back. <laughs> and, you know, then if, if you're happy where you are and that's what you want to do and everybody's happy with that performance, that's one thing. But if you want, aspire to go and uh, do more, you've got to go get it. Life does not come into your lap. I found that in every genre I've been in, you got to go get it. I love that. All right, Mike, wrap us up, buddy. All right. Um, Chris, I agree with everything that you said there. And um, I, I just want to tell you, <laughs> but I just want to tell the audience that Chris is never shy about his opinion. He is out there. And uh, we had a, a, a group of leaders at Gap that were, uh, I think, a pretty strong group. And, and Chris was one of our leaders within the leaders. And it was um, always a pleasure to work with him. So I'll wrap it up this way. Um, I know we've had many conversations about this, but you're a big believer in technology. And as Amber said earlier, we have you know, a lot of people listening to this, including our vendors. So how do you view technology and, and, and how do you see it fitting into the future at Gapping? Uh, it, it's an, a key part of where we're going. We are past the point where people can do everything. Remember back in the days when every LPM was sitting behind a keyboard and, and looking for cases. Um, those days are gone. Um, we don't have the luxury of allowing all that time. We need our teams out helping the stores, right? So I think there's, there's um, a couple of big areas. One is the technology that um, can help us be better. Merchandise visibility is something that I think is really important, whether it's RFID or something along those lines. The more visibility we have on merchandise, the smarter we become. It's, it's intelligence, which you know, just means information designed for action. So it's something we can do with it. Um, many places don't have that right now, and that's difficult. So the better the visibility we can get, the better off we're going to be. The other thing is the, the um, amount of data that we have now just just in our environment, the, the level of, for instance, online sales has gone through the roof. Well, it's not practical for us to be able to take old school exception reporting or, you know, that LPM or the analyst behind the screen looking at it. We'll, we'll never keep up. So machine learning, link analysis, uh, AI, all of those sorts of things are going to become critical to us because the machines and the technology if done right, hopefully will tell us where the problem is. Once we know where the problem is, it's, it's done. We all, we all know that. I, you know, if you can identify the problem, we'll go fix it. The challenge is what we don't know, and that's what keeps me up at night. So I think that's big. And I think from a vendor perspective, you know, the best thing is to understand what the company's challenge is and what the problem is, as opposed to trying to put a square, square peg in a round hole with um, this is what we have and then start from there. 
I think if you start from what's keeping you up at night, same thing I tell my team, if you're going to partner with the stores, what's keeping you up at night, that's the lessons that vendors need to know. Because then all of a sudden they're going to have the ability and the information to design to it and come in and say, you know, Chris, you're struggling with this. Everybody's struggling with it. What do you think about this? Um, I think I think that's the way forward. And none of us, none of us are just going to be able to succeed in the next three to five years unless we're employing fit for purpose, not just technology, but fit for purpose technology. Yeah, those are great points for sure. I mean, I think what's one of the things the pandemic brought out, right, is that there's a two sides to that coin. One is you got to, you better be managing your life cycle of your technology for sure. And then don't buy the first thing as the knee jerk, right? We were all, everybody was, had the next thermal camera that was going to take everyone's temperature. And then you were going to be kicked out of your retail store if you had a fever, right? I mean, that's what everyone was talking about. And then all of a sudden that's not a priority now. It's really uh, some great points there, Chris. Okay. I know Mike and I could sit and talk to you forever. And I know our audience wants to talk to you forever, but we can, we got to end it somewhere. All right. Thank you so much, Chris, for stepping into the hot seat and Mike for co-hosting with me today. It's been awesome, guys. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Everybody be safe. And be safe and download the Talk LP news app because it is free, no registration required, and has breaking news that you guys need uh, right in the palm of your hand. And a new tab called Smarts featuring exclusive content from Professor Adrian Beck. Thanks everybody for listening. You can always tweet us at Let's Talk LP. Thanks guys. We'll see you later. Cause, cause, cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it.